Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Let's go ahead and head back. I love, 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 love. Absolutely. I have missed hearing people talking back and forth and y'all getting rowdy. This has been fantastic. Uh, let's go ahead and do this, all right? So, God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the, 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 the journey that we've been going on here on Sundays. God, I just thank you that right now that as we continue that, um, that you're opening our eyes to see not just the faults and failures, but God, who you say that we are. And God, I just thank you that there is a shift taking place uh, here at New Life for those who are online, for those who are in person that is beginning to change. And God, that we have an inside-out change versus being affected from the outside in. And so God, I just thank you that today is a new day. It's a new day, and I'm excited about today. It's the day he has made, amen? So the past week, we, were, we started talking about the tool belt. And uh, it's been funny because I have gotten so many hey, by the way, Pastor Pete, I hit somebody with a tool, with a hammer today, um, conversations that has been going on. And uh, if you weren't with us last week, you can check it online. The whole idea was that God has given us tools. The Holy Spirit is the tool belt that holds everything together. He is the great gift giver. And one of the things that we walked through last week was this whole idea that uh, our words have power. Y'all with me? Our words have power, and our words bring life, and they bring death. A hammer can either be used for construction or demolition. And there was a lot of people that were, were, were hitting me up this past week going, man, why'd you have to say something? And, and, and we went through it. You know, I'm far from a handyman. You can ask my dad. It's, it's bad. It's bad, bad. I can change a light bulb sometimes. It, if Bill's not here. Um, and... And it's one of those things, though, that I have not been raised in construction. My dad is great at it. He's, he was in that world for a long time, but that was just not my thing. But one thing I do know is that a tool has a purpose. Every tool has a purpose. Every tool, when it's designed correctly, is used for a very specific thing. And I think for me, a lot of times in the church world, I think we've misunderstood the tools that the Holy Spirit's given us. <clears throat> and what I think a lot of times is that we have seen somebody use a tool and think that that's the magic tool for all cases and events. How many times have I heard this, and we brought it up last week, but you've heard this phrase, ooh, I told them the truth and they changed. Now we kind of get this idea, well, that's the way you do it from here on out is that I just be blunt and direct. But tools are used very specifically for specific purposes, and the Holy Spirit has given us tools, plural, not a tool. A hammer is fantastic to frame up a building. It is horrible to paint a wall with. But I feel like a lot of times in my life, we find ourselves using a tool and then we get frustrated when it doesn't happen as easy as we think it should have happened because it worked for somebody else. Because they did it this way 
And we don't know their whole story, but we just saw them carrying a hammer, and we just assumed that that's how it was supposed to be for everything else for the rest of their lives. And then we get mad. A, a, a couple of days ago, Dad and I were working on a lawnmower, and the tire, uh, the, the, the bearings went out on this tire. And so I looked at it, and Dad goes, yeah, 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 just get a socket set, take the nut off, pull the bolt, grab the tire, you're good to go. It was just one, two, three. It was, stand- it was, nothing cr- it was something I could do. So if Pete could do it, you could do it. It was really idiot-proof, I thought. And I get to this place, Bob, where I, I ratchet it off, and sure enough, it just spun right off. I'm like, that wasn't too hard. And then I went to pull the bolt out, but the bolt wouldn't move. I'm like, well, this is stupid. So I'm thinking, well, maybe there's pressure on the tire. So I'm jacking up. I'm, I'm doing everything I can. How, how many of you understand? I get to this place where I just start grabbing random tools. You ever been there before? And you start beating things. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, I looked at them like, let's try a flathead screwdriver. And just start chiseling it out. And it gets to this place where it has now been, what, probably an hour of me trying to get this bolt out that should have taken five minutes. And the problem was, I didn't really know, I mean, there was a huge issue, we had to end up cutting the bolt, um, but at the end of the day, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just opening a chest and grabbing something and trying to make it, come on, go into my submission to what I thought it should be. And I feel like in my personal life, and I've been raised in church, and church people are amazing, and church people are loving, and church people are great, but a lot of times we get frustrated when people don't act the way we think they should, and we're going to find a tool that's closest to us and beat them into submission. I'm getting the love today, EJ. I'm going to need some help. So today, we're going to pull out our second tool, safety glasses. Safety glasses are absolutely amazing for me. They're amazing for me because I cut grass or do weed eating. Have you ever been caught in the eye when you've been weed eating or cutting grass? A few weeks ago, I was cutting grass on a mower, wasn't weed eating. You would think everything was good, doing my thing. And I, to this day, have no idea how this happened. But it shot a rock out. Somehow it ricocheted and caught me in the eye. Instantly, I covered my eye. I grab my eye, I, I, I turn off the mower, I get on my hands and knees. It's, it felt like I got hit in the face with a, with a baseball bat. It hurts so bad. And so I hop off, and I can't see for nothing. It's bad. I'm like, I'm not calling my dad. I'm hurt, and I'm not calling my dad. That's just not going to happen. I'm not going to call dad because he's going to look at me and go, where's your glasses? Like, you ever find yourself, like, you know you're in problems, but you're going to try to fix it so you don't get into more problems, so you'll endure a little bit of pain? So I'm in this spot where I'm doing my best to be like, just tough it up, dude. Listen, you can wear an eye patch. Like, you can, you can, you can figure something else out. Do not tell your dad you just got jacked in the eye by a rock when you should be wearing glasses. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. The great thing is that safety glasses are a tool because they protect from the outside in. And the Holy Spirit, one of the greatest tools he gives us, is protecting what affects our eyes. Because once something from the outside came in, it changed how I perceived everything on the outside. Everything went from looking good to everything being blurry. 
Everything went from being crystal clear in color to I couldn't tell the difference between a tree and a house. And what happens in our world a lot of times is that we get hit from the outside in because we're not wearing goggles on our eyes and we're misunderstanding and misrepresenting what's taking place in people's lives. So you get your Bible, open up to Ezekiel. I, I have to be honest with you, I have no idea how, how this passage is going to work with this, but it's going to work. 37. This is one of the most famous passages of Ezekiel. And uh, this is like the bread and butter for uh, evangelical charismatic churches. Ezekiel 37. It says this, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he set me down in the midst of the valley where it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by around about them, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O God, you know. And he said unto me, Prophesy unto these bones, and say to them, Let these bones, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay muscle upon you, and you will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin. And I will put breath in you, and you will live, and you will know that I am God. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and a shaking, and a bones came together, bone upon bone. And when I saw the skin and the flesh and the muscles coming upon them, covering them, but there was no breath in them. And he said, prophesy to the wind, son of man, and say to the winds, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath came upon them, and they lived and stood up on their feet as an extraordinary army. A couple of weeks, a couple of days ago, we, uh, last week we came back from youth camp, and I've done youth camps for a long time. And one thing that I do know is the older that I get, the longer recovery time it takes. When I was a youth pastor at 22, I was fine. Like, I'd go youth camp, and I'd be on three hours of sleep every single night, wake up the next day, and run a marathon. Like, it was fantastic. Now, almost 40, hmm, takes a little time. So on Friday, I'm coming back from youth camp, and my throat's locking up. I'm not feeling very good. I'm exhausted. And I went, my body's tired. It is what it is. I need some sleep. So I woke up on Saturday, not feeling good. Had my daughter's birthday party. Wrote a message, preached on Sunday. On Monday, I woke up and went, I'm not feeling it. Something's not right. So I went to the doctor. Walked into the doctor's office, and of which he has already seen my mom and dad. So he goes, oh, I'm here to see Peter COVID. I mean, Kova. And I laughed. I'm like, ah, that was funny. He goes, so you got COVID? And I went, no, I don't. He goes, I mean, you, you do. And I went, no, I don't. And he's like, I mean, you kind of do. And I'm like, you haven't even tested me. Like, you don't know what I've got. Like, I, I'm telling you, my throat hurts. I'm tired. I, I, everything else is good. I taste, I can smell, I'm not, I'm not running a fever. Everything else is good. I'm just want to make sure, every, you know, yada, yada. I think I feel like it's got strep or something. Like it was just, it was just what it felt like. And he goes, that's COVID. And I went, my dude, like, I said, you know, I got vaccinated. He goes, that doesn't matter. Like, 
Good. Good, I'm glad I took your advice to get vaccinated. That was really cool. Good, good call. Good call. Good, 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 good. Now it doesn't matter. Um, and so he did a COVID test. And you know what? It was negative. He didn't like the results. So he has this great idea. He's going to shove it up my nose again. And this time he's going to send it off to a lab because they're more accurate. And then I got the results and it was negative. He says, come back. Gave him a couple of days, came back, did it again. I'm like, my dude, what were you doing? What are we doing? He did it again, third time, came back negative. I'm like, I feel fine. <laughs> my nose hurts now, but besides that, I am feeling okay. I just, an antibiotic would be great or something for my throat. And I realized... He had his glasses that were so fixated on something, he determined what it was. He was determined to treat me a specific way. And what happens with our goggles is that we see people through experience, and he knew my parents, and he knew what the environment was going on. He'd seen the news. He'd seen reports. So he went through life with an assumption without carefully looking at an individual. And what's taken place in church world across, the, across is we're walking through with assumptions, and we're treating people with diseases that they may not even have. And we're looking at people attacking some fruit versus putting on the goggles of the Holy Spirit and really addressing the root of issues that are in people's lives. And what's taking place is that we're finding ourselves without goggles being bombarded by the outward viewpoints and the outward ideas of everybody else being bombarded with everybody else's opinions and what they think that I should think so I should think what they should think and do what they should do. And now we're beginning to act as robots instead of stopping and saying, hey, what's the Holy Spirit saying about the situation? He's an amazing doctor, and I've got nothing against him, because what happens, though, is that he did what we do spiritually on a regular basis. There comes Elaine again. I already know what the problem is. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That phone call rings, and you see that, and you go, I do it. Am I the only person who does that? When it's the 15th time you've heard the exact same thing, you're like, my dude... Holy Spirit is telling us that it's time that we stop misdiagnosing people because when you misdiagnose, you mistreat. And we have to protect our eyes from current and past events. Many times in my life, I have been faulted for being wronged or hearing of somebody else being wronged, and then I see that person and I automatically assume they're out to get me. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Matt has a friend who did him wrong. He tells me, dude, this guy Bob is just, he did me dirty, did me dirty. He said he was going to do this. He fell through, yada, yada, yada. Hey, Pete, meet Bob. I'm like, hey, Bob, nice to meet you. I'm guarded out the gate. Out the gate. I have allowed Matt's influence to outside change how I can view a Bob. And what has happened in my life and in so many other people's lives is that we're walking around with isolation ideas and we're looking at this entire world going, God, you want us to have tools, but I like the hammer. I don't want the goggles because I don't want to see things the way you see them. I want to see things the way I see them. Ezekiel's walking through here and what does he see? Bones. 
sees bones, dry bones. I'm not a forensic pathologist, but when somebody dies, they don't become a dry bone instantaneously, which tells me that these bones have been here for a long time. A long time. A long... He was very specific. These are dry bones. I love this, that he took the man of God and placed him with dry bones and asks the question, can they live? He says, oh, you know, Lord. I've misread that so many times. I really feel like in this moment, there was a test for Ezekiel. Not because God was trying to see what was inside of Ezekiel, but God wanted to show Ezekiel what was inside of Ezekiel. God already knew. So when God looks at him and says, can these bones live? He also knew that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when Ezekiel goes, God, you know, pretty much Ezekiel goes, I have no clue. You know. You ever been there with God? Hey, can, you, can this happen? Bless God in the name of Jesus. Absolutely. You're pumping yourself up, but you don't believe it. Ezekiel's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I love that God took somebody who saw the dryness and deathness of the world, put them in the middle of it and says, can something good happen? And the man's response was not full of faith. He goes, you tell me. I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you're God, not me. God does not, listen to this, does not get moved by Ezekiel's sight. Ezekiel didn't go, I see bones that can be an army. And he doesn't hype himself up. He doesn't get a hanky. He starts doing a, a Jericho march around this stuff. He's like, there's bones, dude. How many of you understand? We walk out of here and we see death. We go to our work and we see bones. We go to Starbucks and we see bones. We go through the drive-thru at McDonald's and get tested by that lady and we see bones. We go home and we see bones. And I feel that inside of me that what God is doing right now is he's beginning to shift us away from what do you just see and are you guarding your eyes to see it the way that I see it? Because you see dry bones, God sees an army rising up. And those are two totally different things because one has no capacity for a threat while the other will overthrow nations. And so when you're walking around here at New Life, when you're walking around here in the Tri-County area, in the river region, and all you see is death and destruction, what you have done is now allowed your eyesight to discredit the opportunity for life change. As long as all I see is just these horrible people, I'm missing who they can be. See, when Jesus was walking with Peter, he says, I see who you really are. You're not going to be Simon, you're going to be Peter. I see who you are. The world's like, there is no way. That's a dry bone. You ready for this? Jesus saw who Judas could have become. Jesus saw who Matthew could have been. He sees who EJ can be. He saw who Alan could be. He sees who Peter could be. And he didn't allow the outside influence of information to change his opportunities to die for them. Can these bones live? 
I love this, that this is not a mass extinction event. These bones were there before Ezekiel. And what has taken place is that we're walking amongst the bones. We are walking amongst the dead. We have been walking around these very, very dry, dry places in our world. And here's the thing that I've realized is that at one time, these bones did live. They did live. Christians are not religious. They are life-giving. Religion will suck out every bit of life that you are while, and dries out your soul, but a true relationship with God will mend every bone and fix every single issue. And I love this because in the previous chapter, Ezekiel is getting a word from God, and God tells him in chapter 36, I'm going to remove your heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And it's in this thing where Ezekiel is just remembering, you just told me you're going to take stone into flesh and now I see bones and we're going, to, we're going to make something happen. And what's taking place is that God is not into just keeping people alive. He's interested into taking the dead and making them new again. Church, too many times, is so interested in binding the wounds and making sure there's not blood and making sure there's not a mess and making sure everybody always looks good and making sure everybody gets their stuff together and making sure that everybody's okay because we don't want to ruffle feathers. God's like, I got dry bones. Who's ready for a transplant? Transplants aren't neat and nice. They're messy. God is saying, I'm going to take something out and put something new in because you can't do new wine and old wine skins. The way church has been done in the past may not work for this next generation. Things are always going to be the same. We have to have the Word of God. That's constant. That was constant from the, from the, from the old days all the way to for 2,000 more years from now. But one thing is going to change, and I can promise you this, is that this generation that is coming up is not looking to look good. They're interested in transformation. I'm about to get on a soapbox. I'm going to do my best not to. I'm going to do my best, but it's going to happen. <laughs> one of the greatest things about this chapter is also one of the scariest moments. Can you imagine standing there watching bones move? The noise. He's so descriptive. And then read what he says. He would watch the muscles and the veins. and the, That's freaky, y'all. Can you imagine the mind of Ezekiel at that moment going, what is happening? What is happening right now? Notice this. Notice this. Notice this. He doesn't command the bones to live. He tells Ezekiel to speak it out. If you think God's going to change the river region, you're kidding yourself. He's waiting for us to do something. He looks at you and he looks at me every single day and goes, can these bones live? You're driving down the road, you're on I-65, on I-85, and you see that person. Can they live? Can they change? 
Can they be transformed by the renewing of their mind? Can that person in the office actually grow up and connect with God? Can the person that has been coming up against you actually move on and forward in life? Can you see life change or are you always going to see bones in their lives? Because the moment he says, God only knew, you know, he looks and says, prophesy to these. In other words, I want you to speak it even though it's bones. He didn't say, all right, let me show you something. I'm going to put some bones together. You kind of get the idea. And as I build, you build. No. Notice, he spoke it out. The bones rattled together. The skin gets on. The muscle, the veins, everything begins to take form. And notice this. And they stood up. And it was a great army. But before there was ever a great army... They had skin, they had bones, they had muscles, but they had no breath. We're missing that middle piece. We're missing that middle piece right now in our world. What we're missing is this whole idea that God is going to breathe again. Which takes us to our second tool. There's a pair of vice grips. Now, vice grips, like a pair of pliers, needle nose or whatever, yeah, these are needle nose, can lock in to something, and then when you tighten it up, it holds its strength. They stay strong. They are persistent. A pair of pliers is only as good as your pressure point, but a vice grip locks itself into place. For time's sake, we're going we're gonna to speed ahead into Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, we see something crazy take place. And Jesus is coming back to Capernaum. He's coming home. Jesus comes home. I love it. Jesus is excited to be home. The Amplified says, after some time, the word gets out that Jesus is there. This is, you can find this in Luke 2, 1 through 11, I think. After some time, the word gets out that Jesus is there. Think about that. This is before Snapchat, Instagram. This is before Facebook. Back then, they used to send out their disciples in advance to prepare the people. Hey, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. So that when he showed up, he had a crowd, and he would speak to the crowd. He would talk to them about the things of God. He'd have all these miracles lined up. He would do his thing. They would be excited, and then they would leave. In this case, Jesus sneaks in. Jesus comes into town and no one knows he's even there. He comes home. This is the home base of his operations. Many people think that this is probably at Apostle Peter's house. But Jesus just comes in the cover of night. Sneaks in home. But then something happens. He's spotted. Elaine, Jesus is, he's back home. Seriously, Jesus, home? he's back home. He's at Peter's house. Oh, oh okay. Dave, Jesus just got back. He's back. He's back. He's back. Is he preaching? No, he's just hanging out at Pete's house. Okay. 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 Hey, hey Linda, I just saw Dave. Dave said he saw Elaine. Elaine said that she saw Jesus. He's back home. After a few days... It says that a great crowd was gathered at the house. So great, there was no room. 
So much room was taken up that there wasn't even a door frame. He's packed. He's loaded in. He's in this spot where Jesus is crammed, packed, full. He finds himself in a spot. And this is where I want to pause because for the first time in my entire life, I was driving down the road yesterday, and I'm just going through this chapter, going through this chapter, and going through this chapter over and over and over again. And I'm hearing this, Jesus is home. He's telling people, Jesus is home, the word's getting out. Which seems normal, except for this. What happens when Jesus comes back home? And he comes back into the church again. Y'all remember the days before there was Facebook Marketplace? Before every church had to do a mass mail-out? Y'all remember the days before that there was all of these radio ads and TV ads? Y'all remember the days before churches had to pay band members? Y'all remember the days that everybody came to church because Jesus was at church? And the reputation was not, oh, that was a good song or a good concert. But what took place at that church that changed your life? Because what took place in Capernaum was that Jesus was home. Jesus was home. And I'm telling you with every fiber of my being, with everything that I am right now, I feel with every part of me that Jesus is on his way home. This is not a rapture message. I'm saying the church is going to be the church again. I'm saying a spot where you can tell a friend, yeah, the music's okay, and Pete probably sucks on the keyboard, but you're going to get healed. A place where we go, (laughs) they may have doo-doo brown walls, but I can tell you this, you ain't going to be in that wheelchair when you get out. I can tell you this, there may have some other issues, and there may be all these things. Yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But I believe that the church is going to shift from being a bunch of performers into being a bunch of people who see dry bones and watch them come back to life again. I believe that Jesus is coming home, and I believe that this generation is looking for a church that can stand up and say, it's not going to be a show of 45 minutes, and we're getting out, but it's going to be a place where they meet Jesus. They meet him. I'm tired of going to a church where you don't meet Jesus. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm tired of going to a church where I can just go in and know exactly what's going to take place every single time. I was talking to a young man yesterday who was talking about going from out of state. He was going to a different church. And he was talking about, you know, he's unhappy with his church. He's going to go to another church. And so he's telling me what church he's going to. And I went, tell me about that church. He goes, I don't know. I said, so why are you going to go to that church? I saw him on Instagram. I said, you, you're going to church because you saw it on Instagram. I mean, yeah, it looks, looks all right. It looks all right. It looks all right. That's cool. I would love to have new things. But at what cost? remember the days that we used to gather and we weren't going to move until he moved. You don't remember those days? You remember those days when your life was a wreck and you had to have Jesus? I, I love church. I love Sunday mornings. I love gatherings. I love it all. I believe technology is going to be a huge asset to the future of the church. I love Facebook. 
Instagram, Snapchat, you name it all, it's all fantastic. It's all good. But I, I'm having a spot where I was driving down the road, and I'm being very honest, and I'm listening to some podcasts, and I, honest to God, could not tell which was the church and which was self-help. And I realized that we have watered down our gatherings into three bullet points and a tweet. And what did Pastor talk about? It was cool. He wore this, and then he had, he had something on stage. And um, what verse did he use? <sighs> you know, I don't know, but his stories were great. What happens when I stop telling funny stories and we start seeing people's eyes being opened again? I'm, hmm, I'm leaving this mindset that we have to have these mass productions and going into this idea that what if we got back to Jesus coming home? If Jesus came home to church today, if he came back to churches today, and he walked through every single church doors, would he find himself welcome, or would they say, you need to calm down, because we can't explain that? What would happen if Acts chapter 2 happened in 2021? What would happen right now is if we started seeing churches that started having tongues of fire, would they just be absolutely ridiculed on Fox News and CNN and everything else, and those are those churches? Or we look at them and be like, no, that's exactly what the Bible says. What happens when we can't explain things away anymore? I had this conversation with Dad a couple of days ago. We were talking about writing some things down that's taken place in his life and in my life, things, miracles, signs, wonders, things that happen. And then I got unbelievably sad. Because I have laid hands on the sick, and I've watched them recover. I had a lady who was a full-on atheist, full-blown. She was a surgeon, didn't believe at all. Her husband drug her to church one day. She jacked up her hand. She could not use her hand at all. Bandaged up. We had this line of prayer people. I'm praying for people doing my thing. I, had, I didn't have a word from God. I didn't say, oh, you're a surgeon. Jesus there. I didn't grab a bunch of anointing oil and throw it all over her face. I didn't do a rain dance. She didn't fall out in the Holy Spirit. There was nothing crazy. It was just a, be healed in the name of Jesus. I believe that his uh, word is true. Just, just said what I, I felt in my heart and moved on. And I looked back at her, and she's crying. I'm like, what is wrong with you? She was crying. I had to ask. And then she had this look, and she starts laughing. And I'm like, you got crazy eyes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You're like... So a switch just got flipped. That woman crazy. <laughs> and she grabs her hands and begins to unwrap it. And not only can she move her hands again, but she's finding herself at a crossroads where she goes, I, I don't know what happened. In fact, her words were, I don't believe in God, but. That was a phrase she kept saying. I don't believe in God, but. I don't, I don't believe. I don't believe. There's no way, there's no way this is, she, she was trying to talk herself out that this was some kind of mass hysteria. And I'm laughing going, lady, I have no idea what you're going through. I didn't know she had her hand messed up. I just thought she was a crazy person just waving at me. I'm like, I have no idea. I find out the story afterwards. She tells me what's going on. She tells me that it's happening. And she finds herself at a crossroads because now God has done something and she's forced, forced to make a call. 
If I can talk you into a gospel, I can talk you out of a gospel. But if I demonstrate a gospel, it is what it is. It is what it is. You can look at me and say, Pete, you don't know that right, and you didn't say that verse right, and you didn't quote that right, and maybe you should change this and you can change that. But I can look at you and say, yeah, that person was blind, but they can see again. That person was deaf, but they can hear. Dad has raised people back from the coma. It's like, we can say with a certainty that God still works today. And I sat there and asked myself, what happened? What happened? When, not new life, when did church become so civilized? Yeah, remember that movie Rocky? And Rocky got rich. And he had to go fight Clubber Lane, Mr. T. You remember that? And his trainer kept telling him, he's going to kill you, Rock. He's going to kill you. And he looks him dead in the face and he goes, you got civilized. And you know what? He got his brains beat in. And here's the craziest thing that's taken place in church. And you want to look back at the last 25 years, and that is this. The world stopped resisting the church and began accepting the church. And the church paid it back with making things easy and watered down. The pendulum has swung. For the longest time, church was hard to break into. You look at the 50s, 60s, 70s, even the earlier 80s, church history there, very judgmental. And then we began these movements of we're going to go after the lost and we're going to tell people, we're going to hunt them down and we're going to seek them out and we're going to be seeker people. Remember that? We're going to be, people call them seeker sensitive, whatever it was, and we're going to create the bridge for church. It was beautiful. Beautiful. The idea was this, that we were going to create an opportunity for people who were unchurched to get their feet wet, and then eventually there would be life change, and they could be discipled. And you know what happened? Churches exploded. Blew up. Blew up. We would see churches, and I kid you not, in the 90s and early 2000s, that would go from 15 people to 1,500 in two weekends. And you know what that became? The prescription for how church has to be. And then we find ourselves going, well, what got them in the door? And now we're marketing like we're Starbucks trying to get people away from Dunkin' Donuts. What happened that we just were great at doing Christ? What happened to the churches that were just great at being with Jesus? So Jesus sneaks in. He walks in. No one knows he's there. The word begins to spread. Why does the word spread? Because when Jesus is there, things happen. You're going to ask you this. I don't need to do a Facebook campaign or Instagram marketing. Those are all great. I got nothing against it. We will do advertisement. Those are fantastic things. But if that is the bread and butter for church growth, then what we're saying is that we are discounting what God is doing. Because if you're not talking about life change, why will they? If your life isn't being changed by Christ, maybe, just maybe, we got some serious questions we got to ask ourselves. And life change, by the way, happens on a Thursday, not a Sunday. Sundays are for demonstration. Can we? 
Can we be, just pause for a second. Sundays were intended that we as a body would gather together, edify one another in the Holy Ghost, and demonstrate with power and might the Spirit of God so that the world would see what was taking place. And then on Monday and Tuesday, the friend that you brought that was just blind that can now see, they'd go, what in the world was that? And you would then disciple them into life change. And what's taking place It's here, watch this five-minute video, and we move on. What we hear is, I wasn't feeling it today. We had, and I'm on Soapbox City today, Jack. Whew. Huh? <laughs> you don't realize that I'm, I didn't realize it until I, when he was doing offering, what he's going to be going at next week, and I feel like I'm priming a fire, so I may skip next week. Um, <laughs> and, and what you're seeing, what's taking place in, in our world right now, is people are walking away from the faith in numbers that are unprecedented. Why? Why are, why are the churches shutting down faster? It's not COVID. It's not COVID. COVID was, uh, it revealed what was taking place. God didn't send COVID COVID is not from God. But I can tell you one thing. It has opened the eyes of many people to realize how many churches are built on some serious sand. And what we're seeing right now in our world, more than ever before, is people are getting dissatisfied with church. And they don't even know how to say it. They'll say things like, I need sound teaching, or gospel, or... Or you're going to hear everything because it's like a baby trying to communicate that it wants something, but it hasn't figured out that word yet. You remember those days? And you have your kid and they go, and you'd point at something and you'd point at something and you kept pointing until they figured it out and you're like, oh, they want milk. You remember those days? That's what's happening in the church world is that they don't even know what they're missing, but they know they're missing something. And whether this church goes to 20 people or 20,000 people, as long as we are demonstrating the gospel of God, it's what our mission has always been and will always be. So they're sitting there, and the word is being spread. Jesus is in the house. And this guy who's paralyzed, he's got four friends. He's got friends that are with him, that are like vice grips. They are persistent. They look at him and say, go ahead and, and, and we're going to take you to see Jesus. They look at him and say, we're going to do something for you. And, and I can imagine the talk. Hey, we're going to go see Jesus. Remember Jesus? Jesus did this and Jesus did that. We, 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 we did all these things and we, we did all these great things and they're hearing all these stories about Jesus. And they're building up his faith. They're, they're doing his thing and, and you're, going to see, you're going to experience him and you're going to have this moment. And dude, I see him, man. You're going to get healed. You're going to walk again. Remember he's done that and he's done this and they're building him up and then they walk up and you know what they see? There's no path to Jesus. There's no path. I wonder what that moment was like. I wonder what that moment was like with a lot of resistance. When there was too much tension on the bolt that they couldn't undo. Did they just let go of the pliers and walk away? Or did they hold on to it and latch in deeper? And the guys look at him and say, no, 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 no. This is our 
moment. This is the chance that we have for our friend. Peter, who is a big fisherman, is sitting at his house with Jesus. And there's people scheming, trying to figure out how to get their friend to Jesus. And it says Jesus is sitting there teaching the whole time. Obstacles for other people are not necessarily a bad thing. As long as they've got friends that will push them through the finish line. Remember the man at the well? I have no one to put me in. How sad is it that there's an entire world right now that are full of dry bones going, will somebody please speak to me? Will somebody speak prophesy over me? Will somebody look at me and say that I can live again? Will somebody please take a moment and be something? And you know what's crazy is that right now, uh, I'm getting out of the camera, is that there's a whole group of people that says, God, I'll go to the four corners of the earth. And God's not asking you to go to the four corners. He's asking you to grab a corner of a friend's mat. He's asking you to grab somebody's corner and say, I'm going to drag you to church because it's at that spot where life change will happen. God's not asking you to go to Israel. He's not asking you to go to Indonesia. He's not asking you to go to Thailand. What he's saying is grab a corner of your friend's mat and drag their bones and see them come back to life again. What he's looking for is for you to be persistent in their healing. What he's looking for is people that have compassion. Jesus had compassion. Picture this. Jesus is standing there. He's speaking. He's proclaiming the things of God. And he's hearing crackling. These weren't straw roofs. In fact, if you look at it in the Old Testament, they had to be strong because if you walked on somebody's roof and you fell through, you could be stoned. I don't think Peter wanted to die. So he had a pretty strong roof. And Jesus is teaching these people All the while, dust is dropping above his head. And I just feel like he had a sense on his face of, oh, this ought to be good. This ought to be good. And you've got this guy on a mat that got drugged to a roof going, hey, guys, it's okay. It's okay. And his friends are like, we're not stopping with you. And they're ripping the roof off of this place. And they don't care that there's a mess down below. And they don't care that Peter's probably going to be ticked. They don't care that it's going to look really bad. And they don't care that people have been waiting in line. What they're looking for is my friend whom I love is hurt and I'm going to get him where he needs to be. And Jesus is preaching and he can see a little hole. He sees the sunlight come through and he just keeps talking. With a smile on his face, people have to be paying up attention. What in the world's happening up there? And the hole grows. And it's growing. And it's growing. And you can hear somebody up top, I see him, I see him, I see him. He's right there, he's right there. We're right above him, we're right above him. And they keep pulling, and they're pulling, and they're pulling, and they're pulling. And Jesus is talking, and he's talking, and he's talking. All the while, he's going, come on, baby. Come on, we're right here. We're so close. You're like a vice grip that's locked in. Don't quit yet. Keep pulling it apart. Keep pushing it apart. Because you're so close to your victory. You're so close to your freedom. You're so close to your experience. You're so close to your encounter. Keep pulling it apart. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. And then boom, the sky opens up. And you see this guy being lowered down. You see this rope ripped open. Peter's got to be like, what in the world? That was my roof. And down comes this guy. Their job was to get him 
to Jesus. Not one time in that story does it say that this man was just begging his friends, just rip it off the roof, carry me up, the, do all these things. What you saw were friends who cared more about the love of him than they cared about the opinions of everybody else. They didn't care that they were going to make a mess. They didn't care they were going to make somebody angry. They didn't care what Jesus thought. All they knew was, I'm tired of my friend's condition, and I'm going to rip the roof off if that's what it takes to get them to where they need to be. And it was in that moment, he says, pick up your mat. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. And you watch somebody's legs get strong. You watch somebody's muscles increase. Their nerves get fixed again. And they pop right up again. And what you're seeing in that moment is exactly what should be taking place every Sunday in this church. As you looking at a friend and saying, I don't care that you can't get here. I'm going to show up at your house and put you in my car. I'm going to grab a corner of your mat and I'm going to drag you to a place that I know where life will change. I know that you're a drug addict. I know you're an alcoholic. I know you've got all these problems. I know you're having heartaches. I know you've had so much drama and you've got so much trauma and you've got so many issues in life, but I have been changed. I was changed through Christ. I was once in your shoes and I'm going to grab the corner of your mat and I'm going to drag you. And if you don't come, I'm going to grab somebody else and they're going to grab a corner and together we will drag you. And if it takes four of us, it takes four of us because we know what you need and you need Jesus. You don't need to have a good warm feeling. You don't need to have a crazy light show. You don't need to have a cool show movie. Those are all great. And I don't really care. If there's not life change, what are we doing? And I feel with every sign, everything inside of me that Jesus is announcing, I'm on my way home. I'm coming home. Peter knew he was coming home. His disciples knew he was coming home. Do you see him coming home? Do you see him coming back into this place again? Let's start with something small. Do you see him coming back into your life again? Remember that fire you used to have when you'd be at a Publix or a Winn-Dixie and you see somebody who was sick and you just couldn't wait to lay hands on them and watch them recover? And now they cough and we run? Y'all remember the times where y'all used to be excited to come to a church service or a prayer service because you knew God was going to do something and you came with anticipation because you were hoping that maybe scales would fall off your eyes and you'd see angels again? Remember those times where y'all couldn't wait to get to the altar just to worship who he is? I do. I remember those times. I was raised in church. And I've had some crazy stories in life. I've witnessed miracles. I've laid hands on the sick and I've seen them recover. Uh, No offense, but right about where she's sitting right now, I cast a demon out of a lady right there. Crazy. Man's voice, everything. Bizarre. I remember when the carpet was red. Remember that back in the day? And I remember this moment as a kid. I'm talking about a kid kid. I'm talking about six, seven years old when my parents used to make me come to church, night church, Sunday night service, and sit with them. And it didn't matter that it was going to get over at 1030 at night and we had school the next morning. You're going to sleep under the chair. And I remember very specifically a man named Buck Gaines playing. And opening my eyes as a kid going, God's here. 
God is here. God is here. And I watched things take place. Were they weird? Yeah, but when is God not? When is he not weird? Why, why do we have to be normal? Can't we have something that we just can't explain? Guard your eyes. You don't have to be like them. It's okay that you're different, AJ. It's okay that you can proclaim the things that aren't normal. We have to get back to this spot where we look and say, I need Christ and Christ's move above all else. I'm not going to let the outside affect my vision of what should be. I'm going to hold on tight with my vice grips and never let go of his presence ever again. And hold on to it for dear life. It was in those seasons of my life where I watched this location. This was back when Millbrook was like 22 people. The community and family was unbelievable. The love. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's love. Where there's performance, there's competition. Where there's competition, there's strife. And shame. And we're building a church that's not full of competition, but full of love. Because we want His presence above all else. Remember the days when pastor used to stand up here and prophesy in the middle of his messages? They're coming back. They're coming back. They're coming back. I see it. I was at youth camp. I know I'm going long, but it is what it is. I I was at youth camp, and we were having a service, and I shared this with our youth the other night. And they asked us just to have a moment of prayer. And again, I'm almost 40, and I have been on no sleep. And just to be honest, like I've learned that you can be on your hands and knees and look like you're praying, but take a nap. And so I'm on my hands and knees and I'm like, God, I got nothing left in the tank. Emotionally spent, my body's tired. I had Cole Hudgens and everybody else losing their minds last night. I need, I need some sleep. I need something. And I just felt, just pray. Just pray. So I did. I prayed. Wasn't anything special. Nothing, nothing crazy. Didn't get 15 verses. Just began to pray and began to sing in the spirit. By myself in the corner. And I saw something that's going to be hard for me to express. So let me do my best. I saw myself back here at Millbrook. And standing in the parking lot. And there was a dome overhead. And we began to do things. And they would shoot straight up. And things would fall back down. Shoot straight up. And fall back down. Shoot straight up. Fall back down. Kind of like when you see when like Palestine shoots missiles at Israel. And that dome, that that missile thing just blocks them. Just everything just pow, 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 pow. And I saw one, two, three, four, five small numbers started to gather in the parking lot and we began to pray. We began to seek his face. And it was a nasty prayer, Matthew. It wasn't cute like kumbaya, my Lord. We knew. We knew if we don't make something happen, it wasn't going to happen. And we prayed. And we prayed. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we bound, and we rebuked, and we prophesied to the mountains, we prophesied to the sky. We are going through it over and over and over again. And I saw a hole. And I saw the hole grow. 
and the hole kept growing and it kept growing and it kept growing and then I saw as if it was a dome opened up where the heavens could be seen and we found ourselves in this moment with God that was completely saturated and I heard that God said this is supposed to be a base of operation for this area where his presence dwells, where his resources dwells, where there are signs and wonders, where there are prophecies, where there are miracles, where there are people who are dead coming back to life, where you are seeing heaven's resources in this place. We may be surrounded by dry bones, but this place is going to have resources for those bones. And I watched us as we began to worship and pray that the heavens kept opening, and you would see the dome losing power. You would see everything begin falling apart. That night, we had a crazy service. Absolutely bananas. I watched hard, hardened kids just lose their minds like little girls. It was beautiful. Full of B.O. Teenagers, 700 kids, they just stunk. They smelled. It is what it is. And they'd raise their hands, and you're like, please don't raise your hands. Please don't. Like, God, just knock them out or something. Like, just push them on the ground, something. And they began to worship. And out of nowhere, I'm like, I know that smell. I, I know what that smell is. Shonda was close to me. And then teenagers. And I went, do you smell that? She's like, oh, it's horrible. I'm like, no, it's not that. That's not what I smell. And I'm like, I know that smell. What is that smell? I know that. It's like, you know, like mama's like cooking. You know that smell. I know that smell. What is that smell? What is that smell? And I'd sit there and I'd walk away and it would go away. And then kids would just enter into worship and just sob and God would move. And then that smell would come right back again. I'm like, what in the world is that smell? And then I remembered that smell. Do I have it here still? Can I move it? Yeah. I've been in church my whole life. And I've laid hands on people so many times. I know exactly what the smell of an anointing oil smells like. And that's exactly what that room began to smell like. And I looked around and I went, there is no way possible that there's anointing oil in this place because it smells horrible normally. And as I would smell him, I would see him move. And I'm sitting here the entire time going, this makes no sense and I sound like a crazy person. You could smell God. Yeah, I did. You can say what you want. You can say that I had a stroke or whatever you want to say, but I know what I smelled. And I watched with my eyes, my senses begin to connect to what was going on. And in that moment, I went, when we come back, God's coming home. I know without a shadow of a doubt, as we push, as we push, not as he pushes, as we push, not as we push to try to get a thousand people in. I'm saying if no one else walks in this door, but we seek his face right now, as we push, you'll see his presence. And with his presence is going to come great responsibility. Your responsibility is not going to keep it here, but to grab a mat and bring somebody in. Your responsibility is to prophesy to dead bones. But you got to do as dad said, a gut check for this next week. Where are you right now? Are you ready to see God move again? I'm, I'm not asking for a response. Are you really ready to see God move again? That's a question you've got to ask yourself. Because when he begins to move, things change. And when things change, people don't like it.
so right now where you are, as Thomas is playing this for just a second, y'all go ahead, worship team. As we begin to sing this song, I want you to take a moment, whether you're with us on Facebook or here live, and find yourself making an altar. Finding yourself right now going, this is what I want, God, or not. And if that's not what you want, you're an adult. That's okay. No judgment. But it's what the church is going towards. And it's going to be messy, y'all. There's going to be messy people. It's not going to be suit and ties all the time. There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be things to be cleaned up. But there will be love. And there will be grace. And there will be protection. And there will be forgiveness. But we need your presence, Holy Spirit. So Jesus, right now, we make an altar where we are. Right where we are, in our seats, on our couches, at our in our cars. And right now we consecrate. We stop and we say, Holy Spirit, I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm tired of trying to make things happen in my way. And today, Holy Spirit, I pause and say, Come home. Welcome home. Move amongst your church again. Move amongst your people again. We desire you to come in unrefrained, unrestrained, with signs, with wonders, with miracles, with passion, with presence. God, we just ask that you blow our minds. Let us see things that we've never seen, hear things we've never heard, experience the life that you are in a new way, new wine, new wineskins. God, we ask for your presence, God. Even though I don't even know all the things that I'm asking for, I feel it in my gut that Holy Spirit, you know. So right now, according to your word, God, open the windows of heaven over our lives. Open the windows of heaven over our families. Open the windows of heaven over our church. Open the windows of heaven over our jobs. Open up the God that we want dry bones to live. We want to see this place change. We want to see these people connect. We want to see people move in the power and might. And we just ask Holy Spirit that you begin to move us. Move us, Holy Spirit. Father, today we just welcome you in every area. Not just here, but every area. We ask for your presence to move. Move amongst us, Holy Spirit. We speak life. We speak life. We speak you. That you are what we need. That you are what we need at the office. That you are what we need in our churches. That you are what we need in our homes. Holy Spirit, we just need you. No more gimmicks. No more loopholes. No more scheming. We need your power. We need your presence. We need your demonstration in this place. And we consecrate ourselves to you today. We grab a mat. <laughs> we grab a corner. We drag somebody in who sees dry bones. We see the life that they can be. And we introduce them to Jesus this week. We introduce them to your power and your presence in your name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. We'll see y'all later. See y'all next week. Pastor will be back, I think. And uh, bring somebody. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.